This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. So tonight we're going to go on. Uh, well, actually, let's 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 first first uh, back it up a little bit. The reason why we're speaking about these type of topics, uh, and in fact, generally you don't have many people, many rabbis, you know teaching about these type of, of, of topics. So one of the reasons that I decided uh, to do it, and again, you have to be very weary on this type of situation because you're dealing with a lot of avadazara. These things are idol worship. You're not supposed to be learning about idol worship. You're not supposed to be teaching about idol worship. These are things that you should be refraining from doing. So we have to delve into it you know, very carefully. Uh, and this is also why, based off the halakha from the Rambam, Maimonides in Chot Avodazara, a person is not allowed to even mention a name of an idol. You're not allowed to even mention the name of it. Which people, for some reason, you know, it's a, it's a very not known, when people speak about Hinduism, they start mentioning all the gods. You're not allowed to even mention those gods' names. So, that's gonna make it a little bit difficult because we're gonna be speaking about them, but we can't mention their gods' names. The, so going back to the reason why I decided to, to speak about this is when, when speaking about people that, you know, are trying to, you know, they don't really believe in God, they have questions about God, they have questions about Judaism. One of the very, very common questions that I personally get, well, how do you know we have the right one? How do you know there's so many religions out there? We spoke about last week, we said it was 4,200 religions, and each religion has denominations upon denominations upon denominations. So how do we know that we're in the right one? Maybe, let's look at numbers. You know, Christianity is very popular. Maybe that's what's the right one. Maybe uh, Islam, maybe, you know, we'll speak today about Hinduism. It's a very large population that follows, uh, you know, Hinduism. So how do we know that we're the right one? And in fact, I had a guy once who, uh, I don't know, maybe this is a year, year and a half ago, he used to call me, um, and he would call me every week, question on a different religion. I'm like, dude, you know, I mean, you're wasting my time over here. You're sweating over here, starting to learn about other religions to try to prove it wrong. And I had to go through a lot of religions. He's like, okay, what about this religion? I'm like, I have never even heard about it. It was like six people follow it. I'm like, where do you even get this? So this, this, you know, unfortunately, it's a very, very common, a common, a common question that that. I get it, and when you're dealing with this, as you go through all these different religions, you could call them religions or cults, you see how obvious it is that the Judaism is so, it it sticks out so obvious. We spoke about last week, like, why doesn't God just make it very obvious? And the answer is He does. If you just open your eyes and you just look a little bit, there's one thing that sticks out way, way above anything else, regardless of the numbers of the, regardless of the proofs that they can, uh, that they can give you. So, Doing a quick recap on how we discussed how we're going to prove if a religion is false or if a religion is true. So we gave five criteria, and this is you know sort of a foundation of where you could you could build. It doesn't have to um, you know in order for a religion to be to be true. If you already knock off one of these, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's false, but it's very very unlikely that it's true. So number one, we spoke about we wanted to see a God given religion. We have no interest for a man made religion. We spoke about that you need to there. If God created the world, which we gave proofs of proofs upon this, that God has obviously created the world, we gave proofs also that God is actively running the world, then there must be a purpose for the world. And that's where religion comes in. Religion is coming to tell you what is the purpose. And every religion has a different purpose. And say, this religion is going to say the purpose is to get out of karma, or whatever it is. This religion says the purpose is, is just to believe in somebody. Every religion has its purpose in life, and depending on the religion is which way you're going to live your life. So, the consequences are obviously enormous if you pick the wrong religion, because that's eternity that you're dealing with. Uh, so number one is we're only interested in a God-made, God-given religion. We're not interested in a man-made religion. If someone comes up to you and says, listen, this is a way of life, you know, you hit the buzzer, ah, not interested, next. Because it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't give you anything. Number two 
is that even if it was a God-given religion, is it very easily made up? An example is that, you know, a guy goes and says, you know, I was in the forest and a bird came over to me and then it started speaking to me and I hurt and I understood the bird. And the bird said, I am now God or I'm the Messiah and this is the new thing. Everybody's going to have to follow birdology. And, you know, I start a new cult, whatever it is, and everyone's got to go and, and whistle, whistle like birds. And that's a, and that's a cult. Now, Nobody saw me talking to this bird. Nobody saw me, and I could, I could elaborate, and I got wings, and I started flying like a bird, and then I took it all. You know, we could go on and on about it, but how can you prove it? One guy, one dude saying what happened. So that's not really strong. That's very easily refutable. Very, you could just very easily say, you know, not true. How do I know? How can you prove it? So even if you tell me that it's a God-given religion, how do I know that it's true? Number three is that even if, even if that it was given by God, how do I know that it's active? How do I know that it's active? Maybe God changes mind. Maybe it was up to a certain time. How do I know that it's active till today? Number four, we spoke about something called selective evidence. This is based off Rabbi David Gottlieb, that if somebody is going to give you a evidence for something, if there's two ways to see it, then you want to pick the more probable, the more logical, the more likely, if we may, answer. So, for example, Christians say, well, you want to know proof of Christianity? There's so many people that follow Christianity. That's an obvious proof. Why would God allow so 2.3, 2.1 billion people to follow the wrong, the wrong religion? That's the proof for it. But a very obvious and easy rebuttal to that would be, well, for you know thousands of years, people were, billions of people, millions of people were serving idols. Does that mean that the idols was correct? People follow very, very, you know, uh, uh, I guess, wrong paths all the time. It doesn't mean that it's true just because you have a population. And as we go through the religions, we'll see how e- it's so easy to refute them. It's like not even, it's not, it's almost like a joke. It's almost like a joke. I mean, you're, you're serious? The question then, then arises, then how come nobody, you know, thinks about it, that religion and says, you know, what's going on? Why are we following this fake religion? And, you know, the, unfortunately, the answer is, is that most people don't think. In life, unfortunately, people don't think. They just live. They just live through the life. You ever do that? You ever get at the end of the day and you'd be like, let's say you didn't go to work and you're a day off and you're like, what did I accomplish today? Like, I did nothing. Like, I did nothing the whole day. And people do that their entire life. They just do nothing their entire life. They don't stop for a second and think, why am I here? Am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Am I following the path that I'm supposed to be following? So let us begin with uh, Hinduism. So Hinduism... It's the third largest religion, uh, has uh, roughly about 1.1 billion people, and obviously it's very concentrated in India. <clears throat> this, um, this, this religion is, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very interesting to me when I was, when I was uh, learning on this, is that it's so, it, it's so polytheistic, it's so like ancient style, it's like so pa- deep in, in paganism that I, I don't even understand like how can people believe it, I and mean, you'll soon see what I'm talking about. The, you know, there, there are uh, unfortunately many Israelis that after they finish their term in the army, they go to India, so some of them, and usually what they do is, we spoke about this a little bit last week, they usually go to see, you know, for, to party, but some of them actually go there to seek spirituality. Uh, if they just know a little bit about what they have, what this religion has to offer, which is nothing more than that than Judaism can offer, they wouldn't even think twice about going there. The problem is that people don't know the beauty, the true beauty of, of Judaism. So, the, you know, one of the first things that I do when I look at a religion, I want to know how it started. Tell me how it started. What's the starting story? I need to know. Was there a divine connection somewhere going along? I don't care if it's like one person who dreamt about God and God told him that. But is there a connection to the, to, to the divine? Hinduism 
fortunately or unfortunately, leads us to problem number one with it. There's no founder to it. There's no founding, there's no somebody who decided to start a religion and claim anything. It just sort of came into being, which begins to, it's like a big red flag. If there's no founder to a religion, and now we don't need a founder to a religion, but we don't, we want to know is, how do you know this is right? So you're coming to sell me a religion, prove it to me. Prove it to me that this is, how do I know that it's divine? If you have no founder, no story, that is a very big red flag. So what do you just, you know, what, what are you selling? The way that it actually started, and, and by the way, this is one of the most ancient religi- religions that uh, historians claim survived through the times. I uh, agree, disagree with that like 100% because the religion that Hinduism practiced now is for sure 100% not what they practiced 4,000 years ago or 3,500 years ago, how they claim. And the reason is very simple. You go listen, you go learn through this, through this history. The religion started, let's say, 4,000 years ago. Now, 4,000 years ago, the way that, the way that they describe it at itself is there were Aryan cattle hurdles from like, Asia that came into India. And each India had its own belief system. This, you know, Aryans also had their own belief system. And what they did was they merged it together. That's always flag number two. When you're starting to combine and doing a chalent mix of different religion, like what's going on over here? If I am confident that this is my religion, I don't need to double up with you. You know, if somebody is very confident in what they're doing, they don't need to partner up with somebody else. I'm like, I'm cool. I got it. I'm very confident in this. I don't need to try your thing just in case type of situation. So this is also a red flag. They started combining it. And in fact, this is how the religion started growing. I think of it as this example. You have a snowball on top of a mountain. And as the snowball starts rolling down, it gets bigger and bigger, collecting more and more snow. That's how Hinduism became what it was today. Uh, they, They kept on absorbing more and more different religions. And they just sort of like... You got a God? We got a God. How many good? You got a hundred? We got like a 50,000. All right, come on, let's join. And they got it together. You know how many gods they have? They have millions of gods. You got to be, like, do they have like encyclopedia of like, okay, what God do I need today? Money, 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 money. You know, like, uh, they have millions upon millions of gods. The, another, another very big red flag is Hinduism has a very, very strong belief on reincarnation. And in fact, their their entire the central goal of Hinduism is to release from the cycle of reincarnation. The and we'll speak about it soon. The the, the basically the the idea is that they believe uh, that people die and that people come back, which Judaism of course also believes in reincarnation. But they say the goal is is that to stop that cycle. Like you die, you come back. You die, you come back. The goal is to get out of that cycle and not and not to come back anymore. It's not that once you die, you die and you go into the into whichever wherever they describe uh, the next world is. So. <clears throat> This, um, you know, the, when you're looking at a religion, you also want to see its text. What is, what is its text? I want to know, like, give me some, some, for, the first, the oldest text that we have is something called the Rig Veda, which came about 1500 BCE. Uh, which means is that, uh, we were talking about here 3500 years ago. Th- between three, not 30, I'm sorry, between 3000 to 3500 years ago is where you're dealing with it. Which means is you have around 500 to 1,000 years, there is no text. There is no thing. Everything was orally. Orally is fine as long as you supplemented with some sort of written text, which this is very obvious why they don't have a founder because they don't have anything that was going on for the past 1,000 years and they don't have it as proof. Just basically, you know, people that were doing certain rituals and certain, uh, you know, sacrifices and certain, uh, you know, avodot um, that they do to, uh, to, their, to their idols. So this leads us to another problem, which means is that even if you want to tell me that this was a correct religion back when, 
It's still for sure not now because as it transitioned over time, we don't know what originally was. And how do we not know what originally was? Because you don't even have a text to tell us. So even if it was somehow correct, it's for sure 100% incorrect now. And not that it was correct ever. It's very easy also to disprove that as well. So another another uh, flag, a red flag on this is that there's no central authority. And in fact, in Hinduism, you um, you could just sort of worship whoever you want. It's not like Tuesday we do Tuesday gods, you know. Wednesday we do Wednesday gods. There's none of that, you know. It's you do whatever you want when you want it and how you feel like you want it. The they do hold there is the, and this is where they could kind of people confuse people and be like, no, what do you mean? We're a monotheistic religion, and well, they technically not, they don't actually claim monotheism, but what they do is they claim that there is one supreme God. We can't say the God this God's name, and then there is like. There's like a destroyer. There's like, they can they have a trinity. By the way, Christianity wasn't the first per- people that came out with the trinity. They they took out so much. Christianity literally was like going through religion, and be like, I'll take that. You know, it's like going through a buffet. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. And let's put it all together. New religion. Uh, and in fact, you know what's something very interesting when you study religions? Many of their ideas are all borrowed from other other, other things. Hinduism, for example, the, uh, not Hinduism. Sorry, the whole India region of, of of religions are very very strongly rooted in the same concept of reincarnation and getting out of that cycle. They just put a facade of a, a little bit of a different spin. Like this one believes in this, this one believes in this, but deep down it's all the same core, just getting to it a little bit differently. Obviously, I oversimplified it, but the. You know, so, so what they believe is that they have this one supreme god, they have like these two, you know, right hand gods, and then millions and billions, whatever, not billions, millions of gods under, underneath them. The obvious question is, is that if there's one god, why would the other one god, the supreme being, the creator of everything, want to, to serve a bunch of other gods? That doesn't make any logical sense. The, let's skip on some of those up. The, you know, Rabbi, uh, Victor Miller explains, like, why do people do, do idol worship? What was the whole idea behind idol worship? So one of the, one of the, uh, one of the worships that they do, one of the idols that they serve over here is, um, what they do is it's, it's very, very an immoral act. Basically, a woman marries an idol. And she becomes married to the idol. She's not allowed to marry anybody else. And she is connected to that idol. How, there's like rituals that they do that is completely immoral. It's literally the idol, the woman, and a priest playing like whatever, the, the musical instrument. And the woman does her ritual, which is part of, you know, you know, some immoral acts that she has to do in front of this, this idol. And then Mazaltov, they're married. And, you know, and then you have other idols that they came out through adultery. One idol committed adultery with another idol, and they had another baby idol, adultery, you know, gods. And you, this is what you're dealing with. Cesar, Cesar, um, uh, Cesar Bevigna Miller, he says, what is the whole idea be, behind these, uh, these idolatries? It's very simple. People want to do something. They want to do a certain sin. They want to do something, but they have a conscience. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. This is not right. So what happens if I build it into a religion, or this idol does it, and all of a sudden it becomes okay? Not only becomes okay, it suddenly it becomes, uh, you know, like a mitzvah. It becomes a good deed to do that. So they build all these, and that's why a lot of these idols you see in all these ancient religions, are, they have a lot of immorality in them. And they have different ideas of worship that are also very immoral, because this is what the people wanted to do. They felt bad they wanted to get a conscience. So they got around it by convincing something else. Now, nowadays in age, it's not that different. People at all, you know, a point in time, they go and they convince themselves what they're doing is not really wrong. No, really, you know, I mean, how many times? I'm so sick of getting this already. Like, you know, you know, 
I have a boyfriend or I have a girlfriend, but they help me keep Shabbos now. I don't do this all because of now, right now. I'm like, you know, somebody told me that when he has heroin, he doesn't do cocaine. So like, that's obviously a good thing. I'm like, no, just because you do one thing bad, one thing good that comes out of it doesn't make that whole idea good. It's, it's rationalization and people rationalize the whole time. Okay. Uh, you know, if it's really hot and, you know, God is not in Miami, so I don't have to be modest in Miami. It's a different zip code. It doesn't work that way. You know, it, it doesn't, people get completely, you know, their, their own ideas, their own rationalization. We look back at them, those idols, and be like, well, they're such fools. Like, how could they even believe that? But we do the same thing. We do the same thing in the same manner, and we rationalize, and we say, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. This is why it's a very, very important uh, fact to remember. When you're serving God, you have to serve God on His terms, not on your terms. I, you know, I speak to you know, secular people all the time, and I say, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to be a great person. I'm going to follow you know, certain things, but I'm not interested in Shabbos. I'm not interested in kosher. I mean, why do I need to do these things? And the answer is, if you want to serve God, there's only one way to do it. Not on your terms, but rather on His terms. So if you're dealing with, with your own terms, you completely you know, misconstrue the entire, the entire ideology, the entire religion, and you make your own, uh, your own religion out of that. Okay. So, the you know, it also comes into a, a little bit of a halachic interesting issue, is that let's say you go and you purchase a house from a Hindu. Somebody who has a, you know, so there, there are Indians and Hindus that live over here. And in the, in, the, in the actual houses, they have little shrines, little temples, little, uh, I forgot the word that they use for it. And so they're serving Abu Dazarah in their house. And let's say you go and you buy that house. So you have to be very careful to make sure you get rid of all that, all those stuff. That, and people, and I tell this to people in the real estate business, that, you know, if you're selling a house to somebody and it's a Jew, and you're selling it, this person was a Hindu or something else, Make sure they have to do a good Chanukah to buy. You have to make sure to get all the impurities, all those bad uh, um, energies, if we may, out of that out of that house. So, what do the what do um, you know Hindus claim that the purpose of life is? There is a very very important facet when you're looking into religions. You have to see what is their purpose of life. It also tells you what are, what is their essence and what is their goal. Uh, so, the purpose of life is like we said before is that. There are a certain thing called karma, and which is depending on what you do, if it's good or if it's bad. And depending on that, you'll have is is how your next life cycle is going to be. You are good, so you're gonna have a better life cycle. And what happens is, is as you go through the reincarnation cycle, eventually, if you do and you follow their religion, you'll get out of that, and that's you'll you'll achieve heaven, eternal bliss, you know, and so on and so forth. They call this moksha. Uh, moksha is is removing yourself from this, uh, you know. From, from this cycle of, of uh, what they call a samsara, which is a cycle of birth and, and death. So and what's very interesting, why I'm telling you also these words, is that when you go through other Indian religions, they all have the same idea. I'm like, wow, that's pretty, you know, like every religion says, you know, that one is wrong, that one's wrong, but yet you have the same ideas from the wrong religion, which is also a red flag. And in fact, many religions, it's very, you don't even have to look outside the religion to prove it false. You can prove it false from within. If, for example, if there's mistakes in the book that is considered divine or godly, uh, what's, you know, and they have no answers to it, belief, have faith, you know, be a good person, that is also a, um, a, a red flag. There is, uh, um, you know, uh, yoga, meditation, all these things are very, very strong in that, uh, in that region. In fact, yoga originated from, uh, you know, talking about six or about the sixth century BCE is where yoga originated over there. Before we even get to the yoga, people, I don't know if anybody here ever dealt with meditation, but I'm sure if you go, if you think about it, yeah, uh, if I say the word, you'll probably understand it. You ever realize when people meditate, they use a thing called um, um, just makes me want to slap somebody, you know, it's like so annoying, you know, like um, so this, um, this um, 
is actually very, very sacred in Hindu texts. And before they have the, the Rig Vidai, before they, they do their mantras and their certain meditations and certain things that they do, they have an um before and an um after. So if you go, and, it, and it's rooted in Avodah Zarah, it's rooted in Avodah Zarah, the, you know, the idea, it's like a cosmic sound and what they think, and in fact, this is the most famous meditative uh, cycle that they, uh, that they use. In the beginning and the ending reading of any of the Vedas, they go and they say the um beginning and the beginning at the end. So when somebody goes and somebody wants to meditate, which you're allowed to meditate, there's kosher meditation, we spoke about it last week, you could go to Rabbi Arya Kaplan, has three books on meditation, also one is very easy, it's a little pamphlet, it's like practical guide to meditation, but one thing that you should not use as a mantra, a mantra is something that you say again and again and again and again while you're meditating, is this, is this um. This um is rooted in Avodah and you should not be using it. Let's move on to yoga. Yoga is originally, they, so we said it, it originated in India, and in fact they claim that it was um, a certain god created this yoga, and brought it, and this is actual their worship. Their worship is to do yoga positions at, for their god. So this results in a very, very big question. Can we do yoga now? How can we do yoga now? We can't do something that's that's based off idolatry. So there, in essence, there's two types of yoga uh, in Hinduism. One of them is called the Hatha Yoga, which is the physical positions that people get into, balancing on one dog. I don't know what the, you know, I've never done yoga. But anyway, so you, know, so you do all these weird things. Um, and then there's something called the Raja Yoga. The Raja Yoga is, is not really the physical, but it's more controlling the mind for the meditation. And based on these things, they say mantras while they're doing the yoga. So, which means is they can say their God's names again and again, or they say, uh, or they do this position for this God, and, and so on and so forth. So this, obviously, this form of yoga is 100% forbidden. You're not allowed to do that. First of all, you're not allowed to mention God's names. Secondly, you're doing a sort of idol worship, even though the idol is not there, but this is what it's sourced in. So then you have a question, but so many people today do yoga. So how do, well, you know, is it allowed to? So there are leniencies that you could go, but it has to be, you know, based on certain things. Number one, there cannot be any mention of any Abu you know, associated to it. Which means is, you basically take everything out that it was associated with Abu and you're doing it just as an exercise. But, that again, that also has to come into the same thing, that there's no rituals involved. People sometimes do these things, and you have to bow certain places, and you have to do certain things, and then you, you know, you stretch in a certain way, and you say a certain thing, and you, you, these, these things are all rooted in Abu So the only way that you could have a leniency to go and do this is, number one, if you have a kosher instructor. Right? So you're not going to, I don't know whatever, places that do yoga, yoga centers, I have no idea. And you're not going over there and you're just signing up to a class. You're doing something by a kosher instructor that they should know what they're, what they're doing and taking away anything of that. Number two, there's no rituals, there's no names, and there's nothing that is even remotely associated with Azad just for the exercise that you could be lenient to do. Okay, so let's speak about a little bit about the red dot. You know the red dot? You know they say about the joke about the red dot. I was told not to say this joke. Maybe I shouldn't say it. Uh, <laughs> So, um, you'll probably see why I shouldn't be saying this joke. Um, not to offend any of the, the, you know, the Indians, but in essence, it is based on... First of all, what's the source of it? The source of, of, of it is they used to offer blood sacrifice to appease the gods. So they used to put the, the red dot over there. The, it's really what it's meant... Originally, what it was meant to be was for the married woman. When they get married, they have like, a, you know, they put the red dot. Now, it became more of a... You know, like a cool, you know, looking type of, what am I talking about? You know, fashion, fashion thank you. Um, more like a fashion statement. But, most people when they do stuff, they don't know the root of anything. You go to speak to Christians and you say, why do you knock on wood? They don't know. You know, that's because JC died on wood. There's no, you know, people do so many things, they have no clue what they do it for. Um, so, 
I, I, I would venture to say no. They probably do not know what it is, but maybe some of them. I'm sure some of them do. Uh, anyways, the joke goes that, uh, you know, why do they have the woman wearing the, on the wedding night? And they say so that when the, when the husband, you know, after, after the wedding, the husband could scratch off and see what he won. Either he's gonna win a motel, a gas station, or a 7-Eleven, whatever, you know, so depending on what, uh, uh, the situation is. But, um, but obviously you can see why I was told not to uh, say that type of uh, type of joke. And this is why I have a problem called filtering. I don't have it. So, uh, no, but no offense to anybody. You know, it's just, uh, you know, obviously they're very good people. Even though, you, you know, you know, the not uh, putting aside the idol worship. But, you know, you're dealing with them. They're very nice people, uh, you know, to deal with. The... The cow. Let's speak a little bit about the cow. Uh, and when you think about Hinduism, right away, the first thing is the cow. Do you worship the cow? You ask him, do you worship cow? Like, no, 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 no. Only we honor the cow. Uh, well, I beg to differ because you could call it what you want. Let's see what it actually is. So generally, many Hindus don't eat meat. And specifically, they don't eat beef. And cows are considered very, very sacred, uh, very sacred animals. And in fact, that anybody who is not respecting cows and could literally be prosecuted in, in, in India. I have a friend that, you know, which I spoke about last week from, you know, Akshay from, from India. He was telling me these things that people could actually be prosecuted for not respecting the cow. So I'm, a, I'm like, all right, you're not worshiping the cow? Kind of sounds like it is. Uh, and let's see how, how, you know, how we continue. They do very, very disturbing things with what comes out of cows. Uh, so the milk, you know, that's cool. You know, keep on drinking it. Good for your teeth. The, but what happens is that, um, they use the cow feces to put a certain ritual mark on their head as as part of their uh, part of their rituals, and they also um, they you know I don't know how to say it not in a way that you make want to throw up, but they kind of drink the cow urine. Um, and when I say kind of, means some of them do do that. And I've actually you know seen someone send me a clip of them actually catching it midstream, you know, lechayim in it and just downing it. And in fact, they're like, this is the healthiest thing. I'm like. Take a health ed class, like please, like for, learn something. That is not health. That is not at all. One guy actually claims that diabetes got away from him when he started drinking the cow urine. I said, "You die. You scared your diabetes away. That's what happened." I'm like, diabetes, like, is this, is this cow? Is cow urine? I was like, "I'm out of here." Uh, like, who wants to stick around with, with this guy? Um, so, but they actually, and they're they're considering like bottling it and selling it. I'm like, it's something so disturbing. Now. I understand weird rituals, and fine, we can't understand them because we're not, you know, Hindus. Okay, but when you're drinking stuff that are remnants of, you know, feces and urine, you know, this is where it goes, be like, all right, either like, you know, cult alerts or, you know, this is something going on over here that everybody is, is not in the right, right mindset. Now, the, not more than that, they actually have a cow holiday. Again, not worship. A cow holiday where the cows are washed, the cows are decorated, and then they're given offerings. Now, it, I don't know what you call worship, but I'm like, this all spells worship, cow worship, which is 100% of Udazara, and of course, uh, you know, it, you know, very, very, uh, you know, big problem. The, okay, so now, let's, let's do a quick recap and move on to the next, uh, next religion. So the, when you're, when the first thing that comes up is there's no origin to Hinduism. There's no origin to Hinduism. You get, you, you kick it out the window. There's obviously, which comes to you make you think, there's 1.1 billion people that follow this. How do they not stop for a second and think? How is it when they're like, cow, cow urine? <laughs> no, no, I had it yesterday. You know, I'm good for like a week. You know, like how is it that they don't stop for a second and they think and they don't stop for, you know, and this is a very, very big problem. And I had, you know, I had this question asked me, like, why does God allow this? Why does God allow so many people to go and fall to different paths? And I said, who said God allows it? Who said that God doesn't give you little reminders? And in fact, this is something very interesting people don't very think of, very often about. 
in every person's life, there comes a time where you stop for a second and you're like, what am I doing here? Like, what's the purpose of it all? You, everybody has this. Everybody has this, like, one. The problem is, most people just like, you know, don't talk, don't talk. Conscience. You know, put the conscience in the pocket. You know, let's continue playing video games. Um, you know, but, and this thing comes again and again and again. Like, hey, you know, what's going on with your life? And people have these questions. Then people start saying, you know, this is where midlife crisis comes in. Maybe I have to change a job. I have to get a, you know, a red sports car. Whatever it is that people have. But these are really, like, instincts that are coming in from inside that God's sending, like, wake up, dude. You know, you're, you're in the wrong thing. But people just keep on doing. People live life. They don't stop for a second. They don't think. Number uh, two, we spoke about a very, very big uh, red flag that this is very unlikely. It's a gradual religion. It came in out of, you know, certain time. You know, every, every other religion joined. It came in there. It's very flat out, very obviously fake and not real and not divine. And what's also very obvious is, is that if there would have been a divine revelation or something divine in this religion it would have been written down. Because that's like one of the most important things in a religion is like, how do you prove it? Why do you think that, you know, according to the Jewish religion, Har Sinai is, you know, Shavuos is huge, the accepting of the Torah. Why? Because this proves that we have something that other people don't. You realize there's not one religion out there that has, usually how does it start? If there is a divine revelation, one, two handful of people at tops. Nowhere do you have a national divine revelation. Nowhere do you have, and the question is, if it was made up, as some people claim, like, oh, made up, then how come no other religion ever made it up? Wouldn't it have been a really, really good, strong source of proof for Christianity who said, well, like, you know, JC, you know, he came up on the mountain and, you know, 600 of us, 600,000 of us, we all heard him talking to God and giving, the, you know, the new Torah. None of that. Why not? And the answer is because you can't make that stuff up. People be like, well, we were there. We didn't hear this, you know, stuff. There's no proof of this. But Judaism does claim it, which shows you something that is very, very different with Judaism. The... Um, in fact, we can sum up with this. The Indian High Court ruling in 1995 said like this. They tried to understand the religion. So, so they claimed the religion is like this. The Hindu religion does not claim any one prophet, does not worship any one god, does not subscribe to any one dogma, does not believe in any one philosophical, philosophic concept, does not have any one set of religious rights, and it goes on and it concludes it may, be, it may broadly be described as a way of life and nothing more. Well, guess what? We're not interested in a way of life. We're interested in a divine religion. So this one, you could just uh, chuck out of the other thing. But some more little uh, fun tidbits of it, if I may. Um, there was, there is a, there's a temple called the Tirupati Temple in, um, you know, in India. And this is where millions and millions of, of these people that are devoted to this temple, they come in once a year and they shave their head as worship. They shave their head. They shave their hair um, as worship to this, uh, you know, Abodazara. This temple became very, very wealthy, very, very wealthy because they took the hair and they sell it now to make wigs. Now, obviously speaking, this is, these types of wigs are forbidden to use because you cannot, if, if somebody goes and uses something for Abu Dazra, you're not allowed to use it, you're not allowed to touch it, you're not allowed to deal with it, you're not allowed to sell it, you can't, you have, you can't deal anything with something that's associated with Abu Dazra. The, also furthermore, besides worshipping the cow, they worship other, other, I mean, it seems like they just worship anything. It'd be like, you know, it's just like, just start worshiping, like, so, yeah, why not? You know, like, throw it in. They worship plant. There's a plant. There's a Tulsi plant in the river Ganga that they worship. Um, they worship, besides other animals, besides the cow, they worship the monkey, the cobra snake. There is a temple called Kar- Karni Mata that has, they worship rats. I kid you not, they worship rats. There's a, there's a temple, and there is about 15,000 rats just like running all over the place. And people are sitting over there. And by the way, you're not allowed to wear shoes in that, in that temple. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know how well you guys know rats, but 
they don't go to the bathroom on the side. You know, they're just running and be like, you know, just just knock them out. So you're stepping on rat feces as you're walking past by here. You have these scary little things like, you know, going around. And it climbs on people and it eats the food with people. And they're like, oh, it's blessing if the rat eats the food. I'm like, if you like rabies, it's blessing. Otherwise, it's not. You know, and they go and they, you know, rats carry diseases not just on their on their saliva or if they bite you on their skin. They have diseases everywhere, and they're just like sitting over there. You see these? I, I've seen it. They, you know, I've seen these things. It's ridiculous. The rats are climbing, and they're like, oh, it's like a. I'm like, this is not a parrot. You know, you're throwing a rodent all over. You know, all over you. And they, they, you know, they, they go and they live with the rodents and they see there, they sit down to, to worship and they have like rodents just like ro- running all over the place. They claim that these rodents are their ancestors. This part I probably believe. Um, they claim that this, you know, it's their ancestors and you have to honor the ancestors. It's part of the cycle. They go in this and then they go into that. So out of all the stuff that's going on in the religion, this is the most likely that's probably true. Uh, regarding everything else is, is all, uh, fake and false. But you know something very interesting? There is a group of people from uh, from India that claim to be from the tribe of Nasha, one of the long, long lost tribe. And I was actually speaking to somebody this week on it, and he was telling me about it. He says there's already 3,000 of them that already made an aliyah to Israel. They had traditions, they were keeping Shabbat, marriage purity. Obviously, they have to go through the conversion process again, but there's a certain organization called Sha'ave Israel that goes and helps people from different things, and they actually put it on their website. You see there, the tribe, they claim to be from the tribe of Menashe, and they came, you have, you know, these, these Indians that now are in Israel. 3,000 of them that are, that are coming, you know, uh, back to, uh, back to Judaism, or first time to Judaism, but whatever it is, you know, something very, very interesting. Um, when we speak about Hinduism, I you know I have to touch on Gandhi. Uh, you know, people know who Gandhi was? Guy wore a blanket, you know, really skinny guy with a big glass. Yeah, okay, so uh, nonviolent dude. So what? Um, what he was? He was basically he had uh, he was a leader of nonviolence uh, against a sort of a resistance movement against uh, the British rule. So what people don't know about him, and this is what happens when you don't have a divine religion with a with a moral code that comes just from God. When you're just basing it off your ideas, your thought process, you're bound to fail. The moral, and he claims, uh, and, and what people don't know is, some people call him a closet racist, but he was a racist. He, uh, he discriminated against blacks, he didn't want them to be in the same places in the hospital, and, um, he said that the whites and the Indians are higher than the Africans. Uh, he actually also didn't say some, you know what his advice was to the Jews in, uh, in the Holocaust? He said the Jews should offer themselves to the butcher's knife and die like heroes. Uh, so basically he's saying commit suicide. So that was his great, you know, piece of advice uh, for that. So no, thank you, uh, Gandhi. Um, the what also is Gandhi uh, to say in the nicest terms uh, was a shtickle, a little bit of a pervert. Um, he he did some sort of immoral act when he was younger, and then when he got when when he felt so bad about it, he's like, that's it. New thing, there's like celibacy. There's like no more with anything. And he, and he committed never to have anything, any association with women and, and relations, you know, and so on and so forth. The um, and he actually put out that every Indian, Indian he, like crazy, every Indian should not marry. I mean, like, I mean, you want to kill out your religion or whatever, you think it's fine. Every religion, if you have to get married, then you, you know, then if you're with your, your, you know, husband and wife should stay away as far as, sleep in separate rooms, is what he's saying. Might be good for someone by it, I don't know. But, um, he's saying, you know, keep as far away as possible as you, as you can for each other. And he, he wanted to test himself. So, to say it in the nicest way possible, he, um, took his grandnieces, 
and put them in very, very uncomfortable positions to test himself to show that he doesn't have any more um, temptations for that. So uh, obviously this is, you know, when you're dealing with morality, that you're basing it off, you know, rats or monkeys or cows or, or whatever gods with like four arms. Whatever you're, if you're dealing with that, that's obviously something that you're going to be bound for failure, bound for, bound for, to, for, and look at that. This is somebody who's considered so, so great in their eyes. How could you, how could you consider that morality? How can you consider that uh, moralism? So, okay, there's another, um, we don't have the time now, so I really wanted to, I really want to get, there's another knockoff of, uh, knockoff, it's a branch of, of Hinduism. I can't even say the name. People, if I say the name, you guys will know, but the name is based off of Navodaz Ras, I'll give you the initials. I-S-K-C-O-N. This was founded in 1996, in 19, sorry, 1966, in, uh, New York City. Uh, Similar idea um, with with Hinduism, a few changes, claiming to be one God, but it's all based off the Hindu religion, and just like we knocked off that, it's very easy to knock off this one as well. Let's speak about Sikhism. So Sikhism is a very, very interesting... By the way, if anybody knows Sikhism, those are the guys who have the turbans and the long beards... They have swords on there. You know, you know the, you know what guys I'm talking about? They like, people are like, are you Muslim? Are you Indian? Like, what's going on? Well, Taxi joggers. Yeah, yeah. Some of them, yeah. Why do they have knives on them? It's part of their, uh, it's a, called a ceremonial, ceremonial dagger. It's a ceremonial dagger. Okay, so let's, let's speak about that. So, they are arranging between, this is also in India region. They range, there are between 20 and 30 million, uh, you know, of them. And they actually went through, a, you know, unfortunately a very hard time after September 11th. There was a lot of hate crime against them in America because people thought of them as Muslim. And they're not technically Muslim, but ish, a little bit, uh, which we'll soon see. So, how, first thing question, how did it start? It started by the guy by the name of Guru Nanak. He was born in 1469 in the Punjab area in India. It was on the border between India and Pakistan. So there was, he was on one hand, he had, you know, he was born to a Hindu family, but at the same point in time, he had a lot of Islamic influence in there. And so it's very interesting when you look at this religion, they have, it's basically, they're like, they, they also, they were shopping. So they took some stuff from Islam, they took some stuff from Hinduism and the new religion. There's only true religion, there's only real religion, but you know, whatever. The same, the same idea. So that's also number one red flag. When you're starting to combine religions, that means that you don't have something real. You're just, you know, you're just picking things from other, from other uh, religion. So how did it start? He was 28 years old and he disappeared for three days. And I guess his wife was like, where, where were you? You know, where were you? Like, I was speaking to God. You know, like, so he says, like, listen, I went, I meditated, and I spoke to God, and God told me, no more Hinduism, no more, no more, is, no more Muslims. Um, uh, so, and that's what, that became a famous saying from his, no more, no more Hindu, no more Muslim. So, they claim a monotheistic religion. And they actually claim it pretty good. Until you delve a little bit into it, it's like, ah, you know, like you were good, and then, you know, like, ugh, you went way off. So, the, they, in the Hindu idea, they believe that the, the concept of, of the circle of, you know, life, rebirth and death, rebirth and death, the main focus in this religion is also to get out of that, out of that, uh, out of that cycle. Uh, what's very interesting is that they have, men and women are equal in this religion, which is, you know, very nice. Uh, they also don't believe in alcohol or smoking. They also don't believe in angels or demons. They also don't, don't have any divine, there's no divine reward or punishment. Which makes me want to question a few things. Uh, but before we get into that, their, their worship, their, uh, is, is, what is, what is very interesting and very nice about this religion is, um, even though it's fake, is that they very, very strongly push for community service for other people. And uh, so that's, that's, you know, you know, you know, well accredited. The, 
But then they go, you know, off and, and certain things that we'll see. They have five beliefs. It's called a five Ks. Um, the, and I'm not going to use the, the Punjab uh, term uh, of it. But the number one is that they have to have long hair. The reason why they have turbans is because they got long, lots of hair down there. Um, they can, they can, they're not supposed to cut their hair, uh, which is never cut. And that's why they keep it in this turban. Number two is they always have to have a comb in the turban. I, I don't know what it's called, but I remember when I was younger going on the subway, uh, there are certain people from a certain ethnic group, they would have also combs in their hair. You know? <laughs> Never combing it though, it's just sticking in there. It's always like, oh, you, you, you know, something's like, you know, hanging off your hair. So anyways, they also have, maybe that's where they got it from, I don't know. So they have also a comb in their hair, and they have to comb, this is, by the way, this is, this is, they have to comb the hair twice a day. The number number three is short pants. By the way, this already screams a little bit cult-like. Also, really short pants. Uh, you know, have a comb. But okay, fine. They also have to have a metal bracelet, and they also have to have a ceremonial dagger. Always have a knife, uh, a knife with you. Um, so, which obviously, you know, is a problem if they want to fly with TSA. Be like, no, 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 this is my religion. You know, and be like, I don't care. You know, you know, TSA people, very, very strict. They're usually about, you know, 500 pounds overweight, and these are people protecting our countries on the, in a, you know, flight. So, um, uh, you know, checking out their Instagram and Facebook while it'd be like, you know, dark color, dark color, dark color. Oh, oh, <laughs> random, random security check. Um, you know, I have, I have people, I have friends that are from like, you know, Sephardi, you know, Sephardic origin, they're very dark, and they get pulled over the whole time like for a, a random, uh, you know, uh, you know, project, whatever it is, keeps the sky safe, you know, do whatever you need. The, okay, so uh, the, the way that this religion works is that they have something called gurus. Gurus are their spiritual leaders, there were ten, there are ten gurus. The, um, the, last guru decided no more gurus after him. He's going to be the last one and he dedicated the book, their, their sacred book, that is going to be the next guru. And that's called the Guru Grant, uh, Grant Sahib. And that became the, this is like a holy book. Now, they claim very, very strongly monotheism, only one God, no idol worship. Listen how to they, uh, you know, what they do to their, to this, to this book. So this book, first of all, is registered on a throne. It's like if you put it in your house, you can have it in your house, whatever it is, it's in a throne, it's with a decorative cloth. So far, not so bad. Then they have a special fan that you have to wave when it, while you be, while you're, while it's being read. Also, you have to walk on it, uh, yet when you're nearby, you can't have any shoes, you have to be barefoot. Also taken from that religion, you know, nearby, around. Your head always has to be covered. So far, alright, not bad. The last thing is we're like, you know, right turn. You have to bow down before the book. You have to prostrate yourself before the book. And in fact, there are um, the rituals that they do towards this book is similar to how other people serve other idols. The same idea. So they go, no, 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 this is not, we're just honoring it. I'm like, you're just doing the same thing that Buddha, it's the same idea that we spoke about. You could call it what you want, you're doing, you know, you're worshiping this thing. It reminds me of like, you know, a situation you see, a little kid has a crayon. And he's coloring on the wall. And he's doing it, like, I don't know, it's an interesting kid, with like eye contact on you. He's like, he's like direct eye contact as he's scribbling on the wall. And you're like, are you scribbling on the wall? And he's like, no, I am not scribbling on the wall. I'm scribbling on a paper. You know, and it, and you're like, I see the wall. So I'm like, he's like, no, it's a paper. And you say it's a wall. I'm like, you could call it what you want. It's the wall. I'm like, they could call it whatever they want. They're, they're worshiping a book at the end of the day. But, Let's say even if they're not worshiping a book. Let's see what, it, what even if they're not. The, um, you know, they're asked, they were asked on it, you know, because monotheism, you think about the first, you know, religion started, it was Judaism, which was the, you know, the, you know, Abraham. So it says, why in your book do you not mention anything about, you know, Abraham Avinu, Abraham? And they say that, oh, very simple, because all the Jews have is all fake and all false. The Semitic scriptures are all false, uh, which is something very interesting because they incorporate the, you know, based off the Islamic, Islamic ideas, which 
basically took it off Christian ideas, which basically took it off Jewish ideas. So they have their religion is very strongly based on Judaism, but in essence, what it really is, is they're claiming that's uh, completely false. And they, they, they also, they don't accept any other religion, which is very, very misrepresented over there, as being true. They have the only true religion. Adam and Chava, fake. Noah's, you know, Ark, fake. Um, uh, which is very interesting because when we speak, when we're going to get to speak about archaeology, uh, there's actually proof that this uh, that it was false. But they they all say that it's fake. Where uh, and they actually claim, you know, Abraham was a human; he made mistakes. Which me, leads me onto the next thing: their gurus they don't consider them human. They don't consider them human, which is very, very conflicting and very, very interesting in how they describe it. So in many verses, and I have the verses over here, uh, that the God took form. God is seen as the guru within the the true guru is really God. Guru is perfect, cannot make any mistake. Very, very God-like qualities, which is very interesting because originally the guru claimed himself as a prophet, not as not as a God. So the answer to that, guru merged himself together with uh, uh, with God. Uh, that sounds very Christianity to me uh, so far. The... Um, then they uh, they say that Guru is not God, but one with God. But in the same point, they have verses straight out. And I'll quote, Guru was the Lord incarnate, meaning God in human form. This is in Guru Granath Sahib, page 306. Which means is, you could call it what you want. You're that little kid coloring on the wall saying, I'm not coloring on the wall. Well, I see you coloring on the wall. So they go and they... Um, they, they, you know, and they, basically the, the, the gurus, because they, they, you know, procession well, one after another, as they die, they transfer the God, you know, spirit into the other one, I don't know, they breathe it into whatever, they, you know, it goes in very, very odd, very interesting, I think. What makes it also, they claim all other religions are false, yet, in their text, they also include Hindu gods in it. Which is like, why? Why are you including this Hindu God? And this is in fact where people, when uh, this has led to the text being described, and I'm quoting, as fluid boundaries between polytheism and monotheism. There's something going on up here. Then when you look at its history, it also screams a little bit of cultish. When I say cultish, I think you, you guys understand what I'm saying, right? Sounds very much like somebody's in a power, you know, struggle, you know, trying to create their own type of religion, base it off nothing. You know how you used to be able to convert to, uh, Sikhism? is the guru would uh, wash his feet with water. And need I mention, they don't wear shoes often over there. right? So they're washing feet in the water. In order to convert, you've got to drink the feet water. And that is the conversion process. Sounds kind of cultish to me. Um, but then the last guru was like, you know, he revamped it. And what he decided was like, this is not going to really sell well. Uh, so he said what they did now instead is that they had water, put some sugar in it, make it a little sweet, take the dagger, mix it around, and, you know, baptize you or, you know, with, with some, of that, uh, some of that water. But you look at their stories, it also sounds very, 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 you know, like, like what is going on? And there was one story brought down that they were, um, well, I think it was a guru, a leader, whatever it was. He stands up in front of his people and he says, and he starts screaming like a maniac, I want a head for the guru. I want a head. And everybody was like, you know, like, you know, you avoid, you know, when you're in a class and the teacher's like calling on people and they're like, I want something. And I was like, oh, you know, sorry. I'm using my phone, you know, like uh, looking over there, you know, no one's looking. And he's screaming, I want a head, I want a head. Finally, one shlamazel, one, you know, loser goes, gets up there and he says, you can have my head, guru. And he says, okay, come with me. They take him to a tent nearby and you wait a second or two and then you see blood oozing from the, uh, under the tent. The guru comes out. He says, I want another head. Um, and he looks around and nobody does it after I keep my one I want head eventually somebody went he went and you know he went and then he goes back into the tent again you see blood dripping under under the tent and he does this for five times five people um, and after he, they even, I don't even understand how the story even goes because they even called his mother it's like you know speak to your son you know he's like you know I don't know what how did, what did he, he's killing people over here um, 
Which, when you're, I don't know, that's a lot of questions on that. Is a god like bringing your mother and be like, you know, I told you not to do that. You know, take off her slipper and go smack it. I know what he's planning on doing. The, um, but in any case, they, he got, after the fifth people, he comes out, all five people walk out of the tent. And they all come over there, and he all, like, I don't know, blesses them, whatever, gives them a higher thing. I'm like, you know, he's like, basically he's trying to see who's the true, uh, you know, uh, devotee to the, to the guru. Again, very nice story at the end, I guess you could say, but very cultish at the same point in time. What's the level of them? What they achieve? I don't know. Um, Where did the blood come from? They had, a, they had on the animals. They were just killing animals. Um, yeah, they had daggers. It was very easy. Uh, so they were, whatever. So problems with this, with this religion. Number one, personal revelation. One dude in a river, nobody saw him, gone for three days, came back, and he claims it. Number two, incorporating other ideas from Hinduism and Islam while saying they're all false. Number three, and this I love, this is so, this is so great. First of all, there's no prophecy. There's no prophecy in this, in this, which is also something that you want to see a positive proof of it. So they ask him, says, why is there no prophecy? So the guru, and I quote, you, re, you, the, you rejected the use of miracles and prophecies to win converts. They insisted that the message should speak to himself. Yes, because they were not able to do any miracles or anything, because you're not able to, you're not a divine, you're a regular person. It's, you know those people, um, usually it happens to be with men, and usually when they're drunk, and they'll be like, you know, I could fight that person, you know, like, I could definitely fight that person, but I'm not, because I don't want to hurt that person, and I don't want to kill that person. I'm like, uh, no, that person's like 6'5", he benches like 7,000 pounds, and he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And this guy's like, well, I started jiu-jitsu, and I, you know, no crap my god since I was a fetus. And, you know, and they're like, and, but they're like saying things like, you know, those people that talk tough, and they don't actually do anything, those are, which is better, obviously, than doing something. Don't get me wrong, I'm not promoting violence. So, you know, like, you know, you said you were going to beat him, I'll fight him. Um, but at the same point time, you have people that are that are big talkers because they can't do anything. You say, yeah, I didn't want to do any miracles. I didn't want to give any prophecies. Because you couldn't. You're a regular dude who was sitting there meditating, you know, singing Om and Unagi and whatever it is that you are singing. Okay. The, okay, what's very interesting also is that um, even though they say, you know, they, they, they claim that the guru tells people, don't convert to us. In fact, they say that they never tried to convert people. Be a good Christian, be a good Hindu, be a good Muslim, just be a good person in your own religion. What's very interesting is that, um, it's, it, you know, you're telling them that, but they don't, they, they're not gonna be able to reach heaven or something like that. They're like, yeah, yeah, you do your thing, but they're not able, to, they're gonna, they're gonna have the good karma. He says, yeah, that, that would be fine. But to get the ultimately like, um, liberated, liberating your soul, you're not gonna be able to do it with that, with that manner. So this is an obvious question. It says, if, this is the only true thing, then why don't you go and try to, you know, go missionary style, go uh, get everybody to go and try to convert it to your religion. It's very, very conflicting. If at one point in time you're saying to be a good Christian, and at the second point in time you're saying all religions are false, then why are you telling them to be a good Christian? If they cannot get to where you get to. See, Judaism is very different. Judaism, we, we say that you don't have to join our religion to get into heaven. You don't. You keep the seven mitzvahs b'nei noach, the seven noachide laws, and that's it. And you'll be a good person in your own way. You don't have to join our religion. At almost every single other religion, including this one, if you little, go a little bit under the, you know, under the peel, is also says that in order to be a good, in order to get liberated, in order to get to the highest level, you have to follow our religion. So, this is very obvious that there's no, there's no source of divinity to this. This is a very obvious, this is where it tricks people. And a lot of people, when they're searching for monotheism, they get stuck into this. It was like, okay, this is a monotheistic religion. Seems very nice, very peaceful, and, you know, very, very kind, very promoting for others. But when you dig deep down, it's all based on the same idea of Hinduism, of, of, of Islam, and it's all based on pure falsehood and nonsense that is completely untrue and definitely not divine. I want to finish off the last few minutes we have, is uh, another um, uh, religion also in the Hindu area. It's called Jainism. Jainism, 
what's very interesting, it's one of the symbols is actually a swastika. Um, it, not, it was before the Nazis, but they, you know, they took it because it reaches the four corners of the world and, and so on and so forth. But, um, they, uh, they, they have, uh, also a swastika on their, on their religion. So, on their sign. The origin for this is very, very interesting because you ask the, the Janists, you know, you know, who was the founder? There was no founder. Which is, you know, I mean, uh, it's just as bad as picking a family. You know, you're not gaining anything by that. So they said, how did this religion get started? So they said there was, there was revealed at different times by people known as Tirth Ankara. Uh, these are people that are, uh, like, they're known as teachers. And there were 24 of these types of teachers. In fact, you know, historians said there's very little to no evidence that these teachers ever existed, except for two out of the 24. Um, the One of them was... Um, Parshvanatha, which was existed about 7th century BCE, and this is where they actually claimed that the religion actually started from him. Some people say, no, it wasn't actually he, he wasn't the founder, it was, you know, the, the one that came after them, Mahavira. Um, so, whichever way you say, it sounds like it was started by somebody, not started by uh, anybody, and this is according to historians. The way that it goes, again, Mahavira, this is like all the, all these, all these religions sort of start the same way. It was like a prince, you know, and he was like, well, enough with this, uh, good life and money and good food. He throws everything away, um, and decides to run out, run away from anything materialistic and only work on, on himself and meditate on, on his own, on his own being. So, you know, the ascetic style. So he renounced his, this, this, uh, you know, Mahavira. He renounced, at 30 years old, he renounced, uh, all worldly pleasures, and he spent the next 12 and a half years to long, by the way, they do a lot of fasting, this religion. They do long, long fastings and long t- periods of, of meditation. And eventually, he came to this, this enlightenment. Again, how do you know? Because he told you. And like, yeah, I've been fasting. You know, this guy could have been eating garanim or something from a tree, you know, over there. And he's like, you know, like, oh man, you know. Um, and, and finally, after the time goes by, I'd be like, okay, 12 and a half years. He comes back and be like, you know, I've been meditating for 12 and a half years and now I have enlightenment. Uh, so, and this is, no, there's no proof. There's no, how do we know that you reach enlightenment? To, you know, did you get a signature by a divine being maybe? It'd be like your certificate, you know, black belt in enlightenment. So, the, um, the, their beliefs is, is also the same thing. They're also vegetarian. They also believe in the entire cycle, the karma cycle, which you realize is something very interesting when you're dealing with religion. If it's a true religion, then why is everybody in the same area believing the same things? And you have to get out of that cycle in order to get that. The, um, they, they, they're very interesting because they're, they're, there's actually two sects in this uh, religion. One of them, actually, it, they leave so much out of the worldly pleasures that they don't, they're not allowed to have any worldly possessions, including clothing. They're not allowed to have clothing, uh, which is very, very interesting, uh, you know, situation. They can't even, if they, they can beg for food and how they, they can't even have a cup. They have to beg like this with their hands. They have to leave the world, the, the world completely, uh, be, you know, behind them. Then there is, I guess, a letter, maybe you want to call it a more modern version, uh, that they're allowed to have a begging bowl, uh, you're allowed to have a staff, um, and you're allowed to have a whisk for insects. They also had something to prevent, uh, insects from going into their mouths. Um, so, you know, also, very interesting way of dealing with religion, completely running away from the entire world as it is. And we spoke about it last week also, it's the same idea of Buddhism, running away from the world. Judaism teaches to deal with your problems in the world. Every, all these Eastern religions, are, not all, many of them teach you run away from the world. Run away, go sit on a tree, go speak to the birds, go, don't talk for six months, don't eat, and, you know, well, in this particular case, don't have any clothing either. The... Um, so, you know, they, besides what we spoke about that they do fasting, they have something called, uh, yeah, uh, it's called Santhara. Santhara is where they fast until they die. And then they die. Uh, that's it, it's finished. There's no after that. The, um, 
they, and they, they usually claim it's only when you know your, your body is not at use anymore for you for reaching spirituality, and then you can go into this thing and you just fast and fast and fast until you die. It is said, it's estimated about 200 people die annually across India from this type of, uh, um, from this type of fasting. The, the human rights organizations came over there and be like, you know, you gotta stop this. Cause, you know, euthanasia is not allowed over there, it's illegal. Suicide is also not allowed over there. Um, it's, so he says, uh, you know, so euthanasia is banned and suicide is a crime. But at the same point in time, they're allowing you to do this. So they're fighting very actively, the human rights organizations, to stop people from fasting to death. They claim it's not rid of anger or whatever they, whatever they claim. But it's something very, very interesting that God wants you to fast until you die. And that reaches like your ultimate. And people like, you know, and, and it, it's like, you, you're like a high level, like they celebrate it. They're like, yeah, you made it, didn't fast for, you know, for a long, long time. Uh, what's very interesting, last, Last, uh, you know, religion was women and men have equal rights. Uh, this religion, uh, women uh, cannot achieve liberation unless they first born as a man. And they're not good. They're like, oh, I'm sorry, you messed up. You came as a woman. And in fact, womanly are intrinsically harmful. Um, so good luck with the women in that religion. The, um, they, they, uh, the question is about God. So what do they have as God? This is very interesting because they don't really believe in a God, per se. Which, you know, like... If you have a religion, you kind of, kind of, it's kind of an important aspect of, of, you know, religion, uh, technically speaking. What they believe is that these souls that get like in the cycle, you know, they're getting out of the cycle again, same, same, same idea and throughout the entire reach the mukshka. And so when they get out of that, they become like gods. But they don't become like gods that they have the power to create or destroy. They become like gods in this, whatever, in this afterworld and they become godlike. So, uh, that being said, Buddhism and Jainism, uh, Jainism is more associated as being, you know, atheistic religions. Atheistic, they don't really believe. And in fact, they, they say, even though they do believe in, in some sort of forms of gods or something like that, but they say that these gods will not help human beings. You cannot ask them, you cannot pray to them, they're not going to do anything for you. Furthermore, they do not believe that the universe was created by God. They believe that the universe always existed. Which has a problem scientifically, obviously, because there's the Big Bang, and the Big Bang shows that there was a creation. Uh, you know, so, I don't know how they how they answer that, but they're obviously contrary to to that as well. They say that there's no God to maintain the universe. There's no God of judgment. There's no God of ruler. Uh, they do not believe in a divine being who is worthy of devotion. The so that's why they believe in sort of God, but they don't believe in God. So it's very, very hard to classify them. Are they atheistic? Are they not atheistic? Not that it matters. Um, but they write that generally these people that they reach this high level of you know spirituality and getting out of that, that cycle, they become like gods. So what's their worship then? What is their worship? If they don't have any gods, what are you worshiping in that? So they, um, they worship these people, these 24 you know, teachers that they had, but they're not really worshiping them. This is where you, you, know, that you get that kid in the crayon, right back. right back. They're like, we're not really worshiping them. We're worshiping the ways that they got to that act, and we're just trying to remind us to get into the, into the level that they were able to get into, which, all right, call it what you want, you know, but, but it sounds very, even regardless, either way it's bad. Whether you worship them, so you're saying worship that, or you don't worship anybody. So then you, there's no God. So... The question is, is how did you know about this religion? There's no God. How do you, and the answer is, well, they reached this like spiritual state and then they figured it all out. And then they decided they're going to teach everybody what they figured it all out. So I'm like, I don't believe you. I don't know. Like, no, I don't, I don't think you figured it all out. Like, how, where's the proof to that? I'd be like, I, I meditated and I got to a certain place. Then now I am outside. I know for a fact and I know that. How? How, how, how do you, how do you prove that? And in fact, they have very conflicting stories. The, the first, it doesn't even look, it doesn't even sound real, they didn't even make it sound real. The first of the, of their teachers, of the 24, their name was, Harish Habnahanatha. 
something along those lines. Um, and what happened was, is this was a great warrior, and he taught nonviolence, also conflicting in itself, the really great warrior taught nonviolence. He started to pursue, uh, to pursue asceticism, and what happened, why did he start, which means is removing himself from the spiritual, from the physical world. Now, how did he start doing that? He said that, because a Hindu god, uh, oh, 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 what? He said, oh, a Hindu god came to him, uh, well, actually sent a dancer to him to awaken him from his safe denial. I'm like, yeah, I have a question. I have a lot of questions. But I thought there's no gods. So why, how does this Hindu god come and tell you that you what it is? But it gets even better. Um, so he took his possessions and he gave it to 100 of his sons and he spent the next thousand years striving for a state of knowing everything. And then when he achieved it, he started, you know, this religion. Um, ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, whatever you say, buddy. Um, I'll have whatever shrooms you're having. The, um, you know, Again, they don't claim any gods. They're claiming gods from Hinduism. There's a lot of conflicting ideas right over here. There's no god, and why are you serving it? Where, how do you get this information from? It just spells, and there's zero. There's zero, zero proof for this to be any, any sort of divine religion. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting. When you go and you look at all these religions, uh, one by one, you could very, very easily knock them off. And I could have very easily, just very simply, just said almost any religion doesn't have a divine proof. It doesn't have a divine proof. But yet you still have people that say, well, maybe this religion is right. Maybe this religion is right. When you learn very, very briefly about these things, you see how fake it is. It's all so fake that there's not, I'm not, I'm not intending to bash them for being people that are following a fake religion. I'm like, if you just open your eyes for a second, I really did. I really tried to go into this with an open thing. I'm like, okay, let's see. Let, maybe they were able to get it like that. And by far, I think the, the one that I would give probably the most credit that they were able to you know, pull it off pretty hard probably was Sikhism. Sikhism, one monotheism. I mean, they go off very, very far, but most religions, very easy to refute. Very, very simple. Which means is that, and by the way, I very, very much dislike giving these type of classes. I do not like speaking about other religions. We, I can speak enough about Judaism. There's so much to me about Buddhism. Why do I need to speak about Hinduism, Buddhism, and all this nonsense? But where, where this does come into effect, and where this does come into a, a very, very important, I think, facet, is understanding how great our religion really is. How is it that, you know, you don't have people that can convince our religion wrong? When we can convince everybody else, then when, we, when we're going to go and we're going to be starting to speak about Jewish religion, about how Judaism started, about how the proofs that we have, it takes all other religions and knocks it right out of the ballpark. It doesn't even come close, which means is it, makes you, it makes you have like, there's always people that will be like, you know, I get this all the time and people like whisper to me like, sometimes I, I, you know, I question God. Be like, okay, you know, so then you learn about it and you find it. That's, that's fine. You know, people have these, you know, these thoughts that come into mind. You have to deal with them. You ask. This is what you're supposed to, you're supposed to ask. People go and they say, you know, how do I know the Jewish religion is real? Answer is, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. Uh, when you look at these nonsense of what people follow, literally, you don't, like, what, before I started learning about these things, I'm like, okay, they must have some sort, like, you want to be a good salesman. You got to sell a good product. I'm like, Rats, really? You know, like, you know, worshipping, you know, people that became this, like, like, how is this, and it really bothers me, like, to understand this, like, how is it that people so, so oblivious to, to reality, so oblivious to some obvious truth, you have to think, and the question is usually asked, are these people going to be held reliable after 120? And it's very, I can't answer that, only God can answer, but it's a very interesting question, because at the same point in time, 
you know, you could classify maybe some of them as Tinnik Shanishba, you know, in the same, in the same category, maybe they, they grew up in that religion. But everybody needs to stop for a second and question and say, think about it. Where am I and what am I doing? And when you're doing that, when you do it openly, and I, I when I deal with, with, let's say, secular people who, let's say, you know, ha- have a very strong hatred to religion, first of all, I start off, I'm like, 99%, you got the wrong religion. You don't know anything about Judaism. Oh, they, they, this, they got they, this background, this thing, and they, they, this rabbi cheated them, this or that. I'm like, just because you had a taste of Judaism doesn't mean you had the true taste. And very, many, many people don't have the true understanding of Yiddishkeit, the true understanding of Judaism. And they, they, you know, they fake over here, and they, they fake over here, and they think they have the, really the true Judaism. When you try Judaism, for the real, you see something very, very different about it. Not only you feel it, it's very obvious over here. Feeling it is also nice, but anybody could say, Hinduism, Buddhism, they could all say, you know, you work with us, and you're going to feel better. And granted, of course, you're sitting in a tree, you're not dealing with stresses in life, and you're not doing that, of course you're going to feel better. But, when you're going, and when you're thinking about Judaism, Judaism makes sense, not only in your heart, but also in your brain. It makes sense. Everything is very, very obvious. As we go through this, it becomes all that more uh, obvious. Any questions? Not all at once, please. One at a time. We keep saying like their goal is to, you know, get out of their cycle of reincarnation, but don't we have that also like we want to get out of our cycle of reincarnation just to cheat on We do. We do. And I'm not saying that it's a wrong concept of what they have, but when they're claiming that it's what, what, what it's very interesting is that all of them claim the same idea. That all other religions are fake and false. I, well, Hinduism sort of not. Hinduism is like, go do whatever you want, worship here, worship there. It's not really that. But when you're claiming everything else is false, and yet you're taking things from them, then it makes, you know, then what, is this true about it? Then why was that true? How did they get the truth from it and, and not that? Uh, the other idea is that even though we do believe that, the goal in life is not to, well, technically it is to not have to be reincarnated again, not to come back in a Gilgal again. But the focus is doing what you need to do. Which means is, is, is that you have to make sure that you follow a certain, a certain set of path. The, 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 their ideas in many, many of religions, there's no heaven, there's no, there's no Gehenna, there's no, there's nothing like that. It's just in the cycles. And what happens is if you don't get good enough, then you get into animals, whatever, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> we believe that this is one of the paths that you go get to fixing whatever your previous was. Is, is it could be either Gilgo, it could be Gehenna, it could be Ganeidin, it could be Kafakela, it could be different, different variations of it. So even though there's the same idea, same concepts, which you'll find across all religions, they worship. Well, we also worship. Oh, mind. You know, the same concept, but the idea and the fundamental background behind it is very, very different. Also, for the, like, the um thing, yeah. Um, if someone's like saying as a joke to someone else, like, "Oh yeah, keep breathe," so the person like as a joke goes like, "Um." Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know. That's not. It's not really. You know. Uh, you know. Uh, the problem. Problems when you do it with meditating and when you're doing it all those type of things. You should, those. That's you should stay away from it. Meditate with with the Jewish words or whatever it is, based on visual. Depending on how you meditate, depending on what it is. I don't know. I, I, most people don't meditate, anyways. Yeah, which they should. You allowed to say that. Um, like, you know, like that's what that's what we spoke about. You should not, because that stems from um stems from yeah um stems from uh, yeah um stems from um Hindu you know Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Mindfulness is that okay? Define mindfulness. It's breathing exercises. You could do breathing exercises. Yeah, in and out. Sometimes there's like a thing to like help you focus on like certain things. Like that that meditating. So okay, so meditation. Intention, like oh, like think about like acceptance or like that. So there, you have to. Then it really then depends. Depends on which one it is. Depending on what you're accepting or accepting what. Like, well, it's like like acceptance or thankfulness or self love or. Oh, these are all bumper stickers. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, that's not. Uh, 
You know, uh, but but you just do have to be aware of it. But yeah, the breathing in meditation is a very very. You know why people breathe when they meditate? The reason is the pur- the purpose of meditation is. To, did I? Did we speak about this last week? I don't think we did. Um, the purpose of it is to push everything out. Now. When you start and you want to think about nothing, what's going to happen? You're going to think about everything. You're like, okay, think about nothing now, and you have, you know, like everything comes in. So what they do is when you're thinking about breathing in and out, you're concentrating on one thing and you're not focusing on anything else. Any other questions? No other questions? On camera, no other questions? Okay, Hazakabo. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.